Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. The question that um, the singer asked over 20 years ago in that song is, what is love? What is love? It's probably the question that's been most asked in the world. What is love? What does it look like? How does it act? What am I supposed to understand about it? What is love? Well, I would tell you today that as Christ followers, as Christians, that honestly, a world that has always been asking this question should have already learned that what we're about and what we claim to be about is what they, it should be an answer to the question they've always been asking. It's what we're supposed to be no, most known for. What is love? If the world's asking that question, obviously the Christian church has always said, hey, we know the answer. We can actually tell you what that is, what that looks like. Uh, I would remind you of the words of Scripture that actually Jesus said that by our love for one another, the whole world would know that we are his disciples. Not by our knowledge, not by our abilities, not even by our power, but by our love. By our love for one another, the whole world would know that we are his disciples. In fact, Jesus quite succinctly says this, that everything in the scriptures that was taught, the narrative of the story of God, the incarnation of Jesus coming into the world to save us, was to create this one overarching dynamic for his world. A people in this world that love God, love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love their neighbor as themselves, right? That's, that's the big deal. That's the end game. That's where God is trying to take all of us to live into a love relationship with him and a love relationship with one another. That's it. In fact, first John, John, the apostle of love, who was probably a, um, a very gentle man, he developed that reputation as the apostle of love. He loved to write about love. It seems that from the data we understand about him that he was just a, a, a lover. He wasn't a fighter. Peter was kind of a fighter um, and had to learn how to love. John was a lover. Like, I mean, you even see Jesus at the cross. He knew he could trust John to take care of his mom. He's a lover. But, but John understood and lived in love, but he wrote very strongly about it because he understood how important it was. And John would write things like this. If you don't love, then you live in darkness. Like, to know if you've passed from death to life, to know that you are um, a Christian, a Christ follower, one of his, the hallmark of your life is love. Is love, right? In fact, he says that love, God is love, and love comes from God, and anybody who knows God loves. Loves what? Loves God, but in the context of what John is writing about, loves one another. 
In fact, it's Jesus' teaching and the Christian church that has always been known for this outrageous teaching through the history of the world the last 2,000 years that actually the people of God are such lovers that instead of fighting back with their enemies, they have been commanded to love their enemies. Paul wrote this in Romans 13. Leave no debt outstanding except the debt of loving one another. That's, you owe that. You owe that to one another because of the love that God has shed abroad in our hearts. Amen? Everybody loves this, right? You love it? But this summer, we're jumping into this series that I'm getting more excited about. I know Justin and I are geeked about it. Maybe nobody else will be geeked about it. But, but it's Galatians 5.14 that says it so clearly. Like this is a series sentence, a verse, a series verse for us. Here's what Paul said. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so this summer, we are doing a Love Your Neighbor series. We're calling it Neighborhood Watch. Don't you love the old Neighborhood Watch? You ever experienced the Neighborhood Watch, right? You see it, drive around town, and you'll see this little sign that this is a, this is a neighborhood that has a Neighborhood Watch, right? It's kind of this idea that we look out for one another, right? And um, I've been thinking about this um, this week, especially uh, thinking about examples in my own life of uh, overzealous neighbors, right? You ever had an overzealous neighbor? Have you ever been an overzealous neighbor? Like, I've been reading data this week. Like, listen to this. According to uh, a study that examined people's relationships with their neighbors, found that over a third of those in this study have had issues that have escalated into full-blown arguments. One out of three of you guys have got into it with your neighbors, evidently. No, not us, right? But out there in our neighborhoods across the country, one in three get into it. That's pretty high, I think, with a quarter stating, a quarter stating, one in four, that they have a long-running feud with someone living next to them. (laughs) Wow. According to research commissioned by Homes.com, the most common reason for an argument is over parking, animal noise, noise in general, and disputes over messes. This might explain why over 40% of Americans try to avoid their neighbors intentionally. It was Robert Frost that said, good fences make for good neighbors. Right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Like, this is, this is real life. Um, they, they, in this poll, nosy neighbors were a major factor in this survey. With one in five of respondents suspecting that their neighbor spies on them. Keeping tabs of their whereabouts and what they're up to. I know this is true. 
I've actually had a conversation with somebody in this congregation that was sharing with me that their neighbor has actually come over there and told them uh, or talked to them about their patterns and their rituals and like, why did you do this? You normally do this and like, freakish. But one in five out there believe that you have a neighbor like that, right? I'm just interested in who in the room is that neighbor. We love our homes, but not so neighborly interactions can sometimes end up being a catalyst to move. I love my house, but man, I can't stand living in this neighborhood. And people move. One in six have actually moved in part because of a neighbor, while a further 20% are either currently considering it or have thought about it in the past. Now, neighborhoods are not all about war and espionage. Nearly a quarter neither a quarter say they have neighbors that they would consider being friends. Three in ten trust their neighbors a lot. And 86 of people do rate themselves as either a good or a very good neighbor. The old neighborhood watch. It's Jesus who said, love God and love your neighbor. And we want to drill down on that this summer and understand that a little bit more. Good grief, if it's one of the things that the whole law is summed up on, it deserves our consideration and our time in understanding what that looks like. And let me tell you, it's far beyond whether, you know, Roger next door to me is a good neighbor and we get along. Or, you know, Doug and Yolanda across the street are good neighbors and we get along. The Coxes to the left. I'm pretty proud I already know my neighbor's names already. Sometimes that hasn't been the case. But like it's way beyond do I love them or what does that look like. It's way beyond that. And that's what we're going to try to understand. I, uh, I hope you don't have a neighbor like Nancy. I want to share every week. We want to share every week kind of one of those neighbor stories. But I read a story about a neighbor named Nancy who started... Uh, this family shared the story that Nancy, their next door neighbor, put a no trespassing sign in the backyard. The thing was, it was only their yards that shared. No one else would have seen it. But she very blatantly put a no trespassing sign in the backyard, basically telling them and them alone, they're the only people that get into her yard to not trespass. She set up a motion-activated floodlight that faced the side of their house and nothing else. They said that when the ball would roll into her yard that one time she grabbed the ball and stabbed it right in front of the children. Nancy would call the cops on them because their dog barked constantly despite them not even owning a dog. Accusing them and verbally assaulting them for chasing deer out of their own flower garden. Nancy was the one that they had large trees along the property line and She just kept going on and on and on about they were, the trees were going to fall and crush her house. And she demanded that they cut them down. To which they finally relented and brought in an an arborist who looked at the trees, determined that they were not compromised, but they could use a little bit of a trim. And so they're out all this money to have this guy come in just because Nancy is complaining all the time. And so they start to trim, and one branch falls into her yard, and she calls the cops. I hope you don't have a neighbor like Nancy, but they're out there, right? All over the place. 
And a basic premise of this series is love your neighbor. Because what we will learn in scripture is that whether you have a great neighbor or a terrible neighbor, that we are called to love our neighbor and in loving our neighbor, we are doing both reactive and proactive things. I want you to hang on to that. We're gonna say that every week. Loving your neighbor involves being both reactive. How do I respond to when somebody hurts me, offends me, is insensitive to me? Part of loving your neighbor is reactive. But then in the scriptures, part of loving your neighbor is very proactive. I would tell you that the scriptures present a picture of us not being the kind of people who are the kind of neighbors who pull into our garage, open the door, pull in, and close the door because we want to avoid talking or interacting or getting to know our neighbors. You realize I'm using the neighborhood watch as just a metaphor that your neighbor is way broader than just who lives next door. Your neighbor is everyone else around you. And that loving your neighbor is both reactive and proactive. I also want to continue to keep this in front of you. That we will learn through this series that how we love our neighbors is actually a good indicator of our relationship with God. That so often we get so focused on me and Jesus that we, we, we totally, totally miss that actually the design and purpose of God is to create people that are about we and Jesus, not me and Jesus. Amen? Like, how am I doing with God? And we think about how we're doing devotionally and how we're, how we're walking with him and his truth and how good we're doing in certain areas that maybe we struggle with and all this stuff. We get so consumed and so often we totally miss that actually a good indicator of how you're doing with the Lord is how you're loving one another. That actually in God's eyes, that what he's trying to work in us is not to create trophies to say, hey, look at this person. It's to change your life so that you can spread his love to the neighbor around you. Amen? And so I hope through this month or two months that we begin to understand that actually, how am I doing with the Lord? Where am I at with the Lord? How's my relationship with him? How rich is it? How much am I experiencing what he has for me? It's at, there's indicators that are shown in how we love our neighbor. And so today, I just wanted to start with a story. Because Jesus was asked this very question. Okay, you're saying love your neighbor. What does that look like? How does that act? Who is that? And I think, hopefully, this story creates the context for us then every week to remember this is what Jesus said. This is what Jesus himself understood what it meant to love your neighbor. That's what he designed and what he calls us to. I, I want to remind you of this familiar story um, that you all know, the Good Samaritan. When I say that, it's become a popular slogan, right, in our culture. Well, he's a Good Samaritan, or I did a Good Samaritan act today. It's actually become something that's been integrated into the thinking of our society. But unfortunately, it has been washed out. And it's been misunderstood. 
And it's actually been, hey, just a nice little act of kindness here or there makes you a good Samaritan, right? I've heard this over and over. Like, oh, it was a good Samaritan act for me today. And we miss the implications of what this story was meant to be for us. I would say that if you were to take the five most important things Jesus shared, that this story would fit into that. It's high priority. It's, it is a shaping narrative. It is a, hey, I'm trying to do two things in your life, love me and love others. And when you love me, you just naturally love it. That's where we're going with this. I'm trying to create you in my image and I was the person who loved. And what does that look like? Well, here's a story I'm gonna share to you. And in this story, I think it's just foundational for us to start to grab a hold of what it means to love our neighbor. So let's take a look at this. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Um, Again, as we provide some context here, we're understanding that um, Jesus is moving into the last year of uh, of his life on earth. Uh, in those 33 years, uh, it's, it's last year of his brief three-year ministry. Uh, he has been blanketing different areas with the message of the gospel, Galilee, and now he's blanketing Judea. Uh, and he's going from town and village and proclaiming the wonderful message of eternal life. And so we're right here in the heart of Jesus' teaching. He hasn't moved necessarily to where he's talking to his disciples more. And he's moving away from the crowds. He's kind of reaching this climax with the crowds of teaching what he's about. And it's in this context that the religious leaders, and this guy is a lawyer, is kind of the word here. He's a religious expert. He's a scribe who... Uh, who has, has taken note, notice of Jesus, the whole religious institution was very on high alert with Jesus. And so as he would teach, they would be around. And they were around for one purpose, not to learn, but to try to make him look bad, to try to ask questions, to, to, to confuse the, the, the people who were listening to them, to, to throw his authority and his teaching into question, right? That's what's going on here. And this lawyer stands up, sharp, brilliant guy, and he's trying to, Um, to discredit Jesus. And he says this, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I never noticed this until about six years ago, going through this, this parable over and over, that actually the context of this whole story is in the context of us experiencing and inheriting eternal life. This is weighty stuff. Do you want to know what it is to be in relationship with God? You better pay attention to what Jesus is going to teach. Because the question that precedes this story is how you and I experience eternal life. I mean, this is weighty. Our culture has said it's kind of a nice little thing to do. It's a little act of kindness here and there. It's a, hey, kind of, you know, no. The whole context of this story is how you and I are inheriting eternal life. It's weighty stuff. And he says, how must I inherit eternal life? What must I do? 
Jesus responds, what is written in the law? He said, how do you read it? And he answered this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Again, he's using words with life that are zoe, not bio. Not live, but live spiritually, eternally. To enter into the spiritual life that is eternal in nature. Do this and you will live that life. And I, I, I'm not wanting to make this a point here, but notice the conditional statement that Jesus makes. Do this and you will live. The weight of this is, is immense. I can't say that enough. I feel like we've shared this maybe in a way that has been too Sunday school-y. We've taught our kids this in Sunday school for good measure, but the implications of it have been so light that we've not realized that Jesus is saying, hey, actually, do you, do you want to be mine? Do you want to inherit eternal life? Then pay attention to what I'm about ready to share to you. Understand what I say loving God is and loving your neighbor. And you see this, this lawyer, um, he kind of, uh, he, uh, he felt good about the first part, right? I would say most of us probably in some regard feel good about the first part. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, soul, strength, and right? I, I feel better about that. When I hear those words, I'm like, um, okay, yeah, I get it. That's what my whole life, I mean, that's the center of my life. I will tell you this, that when you start to talk about loving your neighbor as yourself, I start to get a little uncomfortable. Am I the only one? This is the nature of, and, and this guy was no different. Because the scriptures say that Jesus said, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. But this guy, obviously something's kind of, unsettled in his heart and he wants to make sure wanting to justify himself right um it's it's this idea of wanting to um proclaim himself righteous he says well jesus who is my neighbor who is my neighbor and to that question jesus responds with this story he says a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Um, I've been on this road, 3,000, 4,000 foot drop. Um, I was in a bus with a crazy driver. You just, it's amazing over there. Like, they drive 65 miles an hour and they're about this close to one another. And I remember speeding down this road, dropping 4,000 feet, coming around bends like on a mountain at 60 miles an hour. It felt like we were on two wheels. And I'm thinking, well, I'm just going to die right here in the Holy Land. I guess if you're going to go out, you might as well go out close to where Jesus went out. You know, maybe there's extra credit for that or something. I still remember it, though. I remember in my mind right now looking out the window thinking, oh, I can't even look. 
and you're trying to process all this stuff, this road, because you know this story, right? But this drop and this, this road was notorious, right? Jesus is sharing a story that they would have related to. It was notorious. It was around the mountain, right down, and there were caves, and it was just a treacherous drive or treacherous journey. And over time, it became a place where people who wanted to rob or take advantage of people, they just gravitated toward this. It was easy to do this. You could do it and get away. You could do it and hide. You could conceal yourself before you committed the crimes. And this was like, I think in the Old Testament, there's a reference to this was like a bloody pass. Like there's so much crime on this road. This is like the over the Rhine area in Cincinnati that I lived in six. Like you went down there and you were like on high alert, right? Like a lot of crime happens here. I better, my head better be on a swivel. He said there was a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And when he was attacked by robbers, um, they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away leaving him half dead. I mean, the words here Jesus is using are very descriptive. Uh, the word beat is repeated blows. They pummeled him. They stripped him. He's dead. He's, you, get the, you get the idea, right? Man is laying in a very obvious compromised position, bleeding out, hurting, uh, clothes ripped off of him. He said this man is in this condition. He shares this. A priest happened to be going down the same road. Obviously, maybe when Jesus says these words, they begin to think, okay, okay, this is going to resolve itself. This is going to be fixed. I mean, surely the priest would know the Old Testament law. They were taught and they taught others in Leviticus that when you see a stranger in need, you do whatever it is to, to, to meet his need. You do whatever it takes to meet his need. I mean, Exodus chapter 23, this says that even if you find your enemy's donkey in a ditch, you make sure you rescue the man's donkey, let alone the man. This is a priest who represents the law of God. He would have known that, that what God required of him and asked of him and what he taught people was, you see somebody in this condition, you act, you move, Right? But any hope that would come from the introduction of a priest into the story is immediately short-lived because Jesus shares that when the priest saw him, he passed by on the other side. And he uses a verb here that is, it has the anti-word in front of it to strengthen it. And it's like he literally went the opposite direction. He saw him and he went the opposite direction. So too, verse 32, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him. Now a Levite, um, they aided the priest. They would know the law. They were intimately acquainted with the functions of Judaism. And they would know the same scriptures. And so, okay, so maybe the priest, but surely, surely the Levite will help. And again, Jesus shares these words. He saw him and passed by. On the other side, the same kind of word. And no doubt, maybe in their minds, some of them were thinking, well, it's a priest and a Levite. Maybe, maybe they're on 
their way to do the Lord's work. They have some religious activity that they need to take care of. That's important, right? And so maybe they just needed to keep moving. Um, Or maybe they thought he was dead. And the law told them they couldn't touch a dead body. And so because of their beliefs, their religious beliefs, maybe that's why they avoided him. Maybe some of them thought, well, guess what? (laughs) You're on this treacherous road. And... um, this happened to this guy, they could be right around the corner. You better just keep moving. Because if you help him out, you might get hurt yourself. I don't know. I'm sure some of them were thinking some of these things. And, or maybe just quite frankly, they were thinking, well, somebody else will come along. It's not really their business. You see what I'm doing here? These, these excuses that were probably in the minds of the hearers there, excuses we've all continued to use so often when we encounter something. Uh, I'm too busy. I, I might get hurt. I'm not sure if I can do that because it might uh, mess with my religious beliefs. Somebody else will take care of it. It's not really my business. And so Jesus is, is presenting this picture and then obviously he turns it on its head, doesn't he? Because then he says, but a Samaritan, now he couldn't have said anything worse, right? Samaritans are the hated. It's the Michigan to the Ohio State. It's the Wisconsin to the Iowa. I know you guys don't think that's a big deal. I keep telling you, anything with sin in its name is bad. Emma, I'm praying for you while you live on that mission field. Like the Samaritans, they were the ones that when the Jews went into exile and they were taken over by the, by the different empires that came in, instead of, instead of remaining unique even in the middle of captivity, they allowed themselves to just intermingle with uh, the different um, empires that came in. And to a Jew, a Samaritan was a half-breed, was a mixed race. They had compromised everything they were supposed to be about. You're God's people, you're a pure line, you were Jewish down from Abraham, you keep it pure as God's chosen, you get what I'm saying. And they looked at these Jewish people that kind of just said, you know what, I'm okay, you know, um, intermingling here, and that became the Samaritan ethnicity that was going on and Jews hated Samaritans Dis- were disgusted by them, despised them they had, they had tampered with this whole God's people thing and Jesus on purpose in his story says it's a Samaritan, you're one that you look down on who as he traveled came where the man was and when he saw him he took pity on him uh, this word compassion, it's actually the same word that Jesus used when he was telling a story later in Luke 15 that the father has compassion on his son, the prodigal son, and is moved. Like something deep within him is like there's something good there, something right. There's love that exists. And he just sees this need and is compelled. He can't help himself almost. Like he just has compassion on this man. 
He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. And he told the innkeeper, look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. (coughs) To which... Then Jesus looked at the expert in the law and said, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The answer is obvious. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. What's amazing about what Jesus shared in this story is this Samaritan man as he begins to take care of this beaten, half-dead, stripped-naked man, he begins to just, without thought, begins to use his own resources. His oil, his wine. Wine was something that they they drank because uh, it, it preserved, and they used it for many things. Oil, the same way. These are valuable things to this man as he's traveling. And without thought, Jesus, in the way the Greek is written here, it's like this guy liberally, generously, not with a scarcity mentality. He's just concerned about one thing, helping this guy get well, meeting his need. And he is out resources of oil, wine. It, it even kind of gets this idea of he's, he definitely ripped up maybe clothes, extra clothes he had, but he might have even been ripping up his own clothes to bind him up. He puts him on his donkey. So now this guy is out his own, his own ride, right? He's walking now while this guy is using his donkey. He goes to this end and he... Um, he puts him up, and the way the language is, is he probably put down a month to two months money. And he actually says, if this isn't enough, let me know. I'll come back and, and take care of it. This is what loving your neighbor looks like to God himself. And I want to remind you of three simple points as we leave today that I hope that you chew on this whole two months, as we flesh out this consistent theme through scripture that actually what God is trying to do in our lives is bring us to a point where we are people that not only love God, but love our neighbor as ourselves. I want to remind you of this. First, loving your neighbor is not optional. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Go and do likewise. Oh. I, again, I tell you this every Sunday, but like these things wreck me as I'm studying for them. I stand before you not as someone who's a paragon of a good Samaritan. But I know what the word is showing me clearly and showing you. That loving my neighbor is not optional. It is part and parcel of what it is to me, a Christ follower. 
It's part of what it is to live in this eternal life that God, this Zoe life that God offers through his Holy Spirit. It's what John says, listen, the, the how you know, how you know that you're his is your love and you love your neighbor. This isn't an optional thing. This isn't a me and Jesus and when I get the time or when I get around to it or if I wanna kinda add some extra credit or brownie points to my spiritual resume, then I'll maybe do some things. No, loving your neighbor is not optional. It's a part of who we are as we follow Jesus. The second point is loving your neighbor will interrupt your life. This dude probably had somewhere to go, right? Seems like he was a business guy. Guess what? All of a sudden, his meeting at three o'clock got pushed back. I'm learning that if I'm ever gonna love my neighbor, it's gonna interrupt my schedule. I gotta be okay with that. I've thought about this. The people that have influenced me the most in my life have been people who, when I've had a problem, have stopped and helped. Like, it's just been amazing to me. Like some of the people in my life who have 75 other things to do. More important things than listen to Chip. But they got this. And they saw that I was hurting, that I was broken, I was needy. And they interrupted their schedule to do the most important things. That's Jesus, right? Jesus just seemed to be able to like allow his life to be interrupted. And you're like, well, yeah, you're walking around healing people, blah, 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 blah. Well, I get that you and I don't have a savior complex and walk around Napoleon trying to like lay our hands on people. I get that. But we live his life and we see that in his life, people mattered most. And that my schedule can be interrupted if if you need my help. Loving your neighbor will interrupt your life. The third thing is loving your neighbor will cost you time, energy, and resources. That's what Jesus says it looks like to love. And I would remind you that the kingdom of Jesus is built on love. It's built on the love of the Father through the love of the Son who comes into our heart and loves and through his love we are then called to love our world. The Jesus life is a life that we recognize is not optional. It will interrupt our time and it will cost us time, resources, and energy. This is what it means to love your neighbor. And I realize in America, we don't have a lot of material needs. And so this story of helping someone out in this way maybe is not relevant to us. We don't drive by a, good, uh, a person in this kind of condition, in this culture very much. But I would remind you that the needs of our culture are even more despairing. People are hurting, they're disillusioned, they're faithless. They're stressed, they're anxious, they're lost, they're broken, they're empty, they're displaced. And to love our neighbor and our culture means that we are willing to care 
to fill their life with our relationship with them, to meet them where they're at and walk beside them into hope and healing. It was Bob Pierce who had advanced leukemia. And the one thing he wanted to do before he died is he wanted to visit a friend in Indonesia. And Bob shared that as they were walking through this village in Indonesia, they came upon a young girl that was lying on a bamboo mat next to a river. (coughs) This girl was dying of cancer and she had only a short time to live. Bob was upset. He asked his friend, why is she in a clinic? Why isn't somebody taking care of her? And his friend explained that she was from the jungle. It was too late. She was terminal. And her wish had been to just spend her last days next to the river where it was cool and familiar. As Bob looked at her, he began to just feel compassion. He got down on his knees in the mud and he took her hand and he began to just, uh, just, just uh, stroke her hand, trying to bring comfort to her. And although she didn't understand what he's saying, he just began to pray over her. And after he finished his prayer, she looked up and said something that he didn't understand, but his friend did. And Bob said, what did she say? And his friend said, well, she was just saying that her, her desire is if I could only sleep again. If I, could, if I could only just fall asleep. I just want to sleep. I'm in so much pain. I just want to rest. And Bob Pierce shared that he began to weep because he was able to reach into his own pocket and took out his own sleeping pills, the ones that his doctor had given him because of the pain from his, that the pain from his leukemia, leukemia was so great that he couldn't sleep at night. And he handled the bottle to his friend and said, make sure that this young lady takes these pills. Bob was 10 days away from where he could get his prescription filled. And Bob knew that that meant for him 10 painful and restless nights but he was just moved beyond himself even in his own condition he was moved to try to meet and help her I thought about that story when I heard that story I thought this is what the kingdom represents love it's what a broken bruised world is looking for love Honestly, those pills weren't going to change her life. She was still going to die. But he was so moved by someone in pain. And the spirit of Christ lived in him so deeply that he was willing to not sleep for 10 days just to give her a little measure of comfort as she died. It's this kind of activity that Jesus calls us to to willing to be interrupted, to willing to be using our time, resources, and energy. Who is my neighbor? What does that look like to love him? Well, Jesus said there was a man who was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. And then he shows us what it looks like to love. Father, Lord, help us as we go. Help us in this summer to just take this in and think about this as, as myself and Justin are just navigating through especially the whole New Testament grabbing a hold of where you teach this and where then 
Paul and John and Peter teach this, Lord, as, as understanding what it means to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Lord, continue to challenge us to see that this isn't something that you obligate us to do because you just like to obligate us. It's actually in this way that we are able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in powerful, tangible, rich ways that we help bring your kingdom into this world. So Lord, teach us, each one of us, what this looks like in our own life, what it means to love our neighbor. Thank you. May this summer be blessed in all that we do and all the places we go. May we continue to draw closer to you and may we understand a little bit better what it is when you tell us to love our neighbor as ourself. We pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ and all God's people say, amen. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.